if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at 10 minutes past o'clock. Thanks for being with us on the Bob France Authority. It's a Wednesday, the second morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. Why is Ohio falling behind? What is going on in this state that has nothing to do with coronavirus? Jim Renacci is going to tell us about it coming up at 1035. There's a report that's going to be released next week from the University of Akron and Ball State University, a joint report, which is kind of cool for me because my son is a Ball State University commit. He'll be a cardinal uh, this coming fall. Um, But they have done a study and are about to release a report about why Ohio is falling behind, not just in the wake of the pandemic, but the uh, seeds of a decline were sown a long time ago. And... um, it continues to struggle in various ways that have nothing to do with the coronavirus. So that conversation with, with Jim Renacci is coming up at 1035. I want to go back to your phone calls, but I also want to introduce into the discussion as we continue to talk about um, the president's legal challenges and what the chances are of him uh, saving his presidency uh, from being stolen from him by bad actors. And I think that is exactly what is going on. But we also have to pay a little bit of attention to the ongoing uh, tyranny in the state of Ohio and across this country as it pertains to the Chinese coronavirus. Some of the headlines from today. Governor Gavin Newsom in California warns of a drastic escalation in government-levied restrictions if coronavirus numbers keep surging across his state. Now, remember, this is the guy who said restaurants are closed and you can't eat with people at Thanksgiving. And then, of course, went to a fancy French restaurant called the French Laundry, I think it is, um, and sat on top of like 15 other people. I mean, literally, they were so close together. No masks, all the, the same things that he tells everybody not to do. But he says this is the tipping point. CA has worked hard to prepare for a surge, but we cannot sustain the record high cases we're seeing, and new drastic measures are going to be taken if uh, if he deems it to be necessary. Let's move on from that and talk about some of what those drastic measures are. Obviously, schools are being closed. Schools are being closed in states all around the country and have been since last school year. At the second semester, in March and in April and in May, kids, of course, uh, were sent home. Virtual schooling was done because we can't have kids getting the virus, passing it on to teachers, etc., etc. 
What kind of an impact is this having on students? Well, according to the Associated Press, a very deleterious impact on students' performance. First of all, the psychological aspect, the antisocial aspect of what they're dealing with is a huge, huge problem. But from a performance standpoint in education, students' math scores are plummeting. Students' understanding of concepts that need to be gained, that understanding needs to be gained in person through personal interaction with teachers, are checked out when they're staring at their computer screens at home. If they have computer screens at all for the virtual schooling, these kids are essentially on independent study because they're not paying attention to their screens. They're distracted by everything in their home, maybe their pets, maybe TVs, maybe their cell phones. Kids aren't forced to to study, so they're being hurt educationally. And maybe that's why Dr. Anthony Fauci finally came around. Maybe that's why he reversed course. Remember, Dr. Fauci was the one who said, hey, we need to uh, keep everybody home. We can't have people spreading this in uh, in schools. And we, if people are in schools, kids are in schools, they need to be wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. You remember all of that, right? Well, now Dr. Anthony Fauci has reversed course and said, eh, you know, we should probably close the bars but open the schools because, as I've always said, kids don't, uh, aren't particularly susceptible to the transmission or infection of the coronavirus. Dr. Fauci is a fraud. Dr. Fraudchi, as some call him, uh, said the exact, exact opposite. He has taken every side of every issue related to the coronavirus and then looked for praise. And it's been granted it. I would trust a can of Dr. Pepper over Dr. Fauci. And so would Rand Paul, who called Fauci out for his flip-flopping on reopening schools. Well, you know, we went through a two-hour hearing back in June. We've been through several of these. And not one person brought up from the so-called experts that the mortality rate among children was about one in a million. So I brought this up with Dr. Fauci. And immediately his defensive response was, what about Kawasaki's disease? Well, Kawasaki's disease is a rare, rare complication of viral illness. And yes, it does exist. And it's not to discount it if your child gets it. But we shouldn't be closing schools because of it, because we get it every year, and it's very, very rare. But he wasn't really listening, and I think the reason is, is that with Dr. Fauci, I think his belief that we should submit, that we're all members of the hive, we're all members of the collective, that submission is more important than the facts. For example, in the spring, he said masks don't matter and don't work. New England Journal of Medicine also said in an editorial that they're basically a talisman, that they don't work outside the hospital setting. But then they changed their course over time, but they're not really looking at data. We have mask mandates in dozens and dozens of states and countries, and every, without fail, every time we've instituted a mandate, the actual incidence of the disease has risen. So there's no evidence that these mandates are working and we're crippling the economy, so maybe we ought to reassess what we're doing. I think- uh, I stand with Rand, a hundred percent. He's calling out Dr. Fauci, and that's that's gutsy, quite frankly, because as you know, Dr. Fauci has been granted immortal status. He never dies. Dr. Fauci is always right. Dr. Fauci cannot be questioned. He's the grand poobah of epidemiology in the United States of America, and he cannot be criticized. Remember, this was his flip flop. We say it not being facetiously as a soundbite or anything, but, you know, close the bars and keep the schools open. The default position should be to try as best as possible within reason to keep the children in school or to get them back to school. 
Senator, also to be clear on where you stand on this, you're saying the students are safe in the school as long as they're maintaining social distance, wearing masks, and engaging in these safety protocols, correct? I think there are reasonable things you can do in school. For the small children, I wouldn't have them wearing masks. I don't think it makes any difference. And really, we ought to reassess what we're doing on this. Trying to take some precautions is reasonable. But uh, there are now people saying, Dr. Fauci included, that when we have a vaccine, you're still going to have to wear a mask. So people do need to push back. I'm one of those who are immune, and I keep pushing back. 13 million Americans have had this. We don't need to tell them they have to wear a mask. The thing is, is immunity is working. It's working as well as the vaccine works and when we get the vaccine hopefully we can all be free of these encumbrances here's my question about the masking issue and feel free to answer it on the air or not or maybe on parlor at france radio there if in 2023 just for the sake of discussion two years three years from now If in 2023 we have a particularly bad flu season forecast by the experts, you know that every year somewhere between 40 and 60,000 people die of the flu, right? Sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's 100,000. Sometimes it's 110,000. Sometimes it's less. Sometimes it's only 25,000 or 30,000. But usually somewhere between 40 and 60,000. What if they say it's going to be a particularly high flu death season? It's very, very bad strain of flu this year. And they project 100,000 people are going to die of the flu. If the government says to you, because of the projected death rate of influenza this flu season, we're going to go, remember what we did back in 2020? We made you wear masks to uh, avoid the coronavirus. We need everybody to mask up again to avoid the flu. What are you going to do? You're going to willingly nod? And strap that thing to your face again? And what if they don't tell you to do that? What if they don't tell you to wear a mask when the flu is going to kill 100,000 people? How much does that expose their hypocrisy for what they've done to us now in 2020 and going into 2021 and making us wear masks for the coronavirus, which has killed 250,000 people, if you believe the numbers, and I do not? There's no consistency to this at all, except for the training of the sheep. They are conditioning the sheep to do what they're told because it's a health crisis. If you're one of the sheep wearing the masks now, are you going to wear it again in a couple of years when they say the flu is really bad this year for the sake of other people? Don your cape and don your mask. Are you going to do it again? Are you going to wear the same thing again? Are you going to follow the same ridiculous rules? Or are you going to accept the fact that, guess what? People get ill in this country. People get ill in the world. People get ill because we're human beings and we're fallible and we have bodies and immune systems and some things are compromised. And guess what? That's a part of the existence. I want to know because I do not believe that this is just specifically for coronavirus. And once it's over, we'll never ask you to do anything like this again. We'll never force you to take any shot in the arm again. You do it this time, you're going to accept it next time. You're going to accept your kids' schools being closed, businesses being closed, houses of worship being shuttered. If you accept it now, you'll accept it again. It becomes easier the second time around, doesn't it? It becomes even easier the third time around. 
That's how they train you. I'm not going to let myself be a part of that. I want to know how you feel. All right, I know you're on hold, and I apologize, but I did want to get this part of the story in today as well as the ongoing election fraud. Right back to your calls after this. With respect to the schools, with respect to the masks and the ongoing tyranny that we are all facing, you want to talk about that? You can if you want to go back to the election issues we talked about for the first hour. Let's hear you. Uh, we're going to go to, who is this first? Oh, it's Roz in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Roz. Go right ahead. Good morning. Well, I get where Hugh is coming from, but it's a little discouraging. Um. But I think that for us, the voters, I'd like to see two things happen. Getting ready for Trump to step down. Number one, Mitch McConnell put everything aside and just start okaying judges. You don't have to have the hearings. You've got the names. Just start pushing them through so that there's not a single federal court judge open okay what was number two number two i'm really upset about this durham report not getting out fire bar put in kimberly guilfoyle as acting eg and let her get her hands on the report and release it if for nothing else than to soothe us a little well, I'll tell you what, um, as far, Roz, thank you so much for the phone call. On the first part, I agree, push as many judges through as possible between now and January 20th. And Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, uh, who's the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, have suggested as much uh, and that they are going to do that. And so that's very important. They have already confirmed over 230 judges for fed- uh, vacancies on federal vacancies, and that's huge for the future of this country. And I hope they do that another 230 between now and January 20th. So I'm with you on that. On the latter, you know, I don't think he's going to do anything extreme uh, at all. I think he's probably going to talk to Bill Barr and maybe uh, encourage behind closed doors him to at least investigate these things before he declares that, you know, there's not enough. Here's my biggest frustration with Barr, and I wish the president would say this too, and I said this on the air the other day. Bill Barr is saying there may be fraud, but not enough on enough of a grand scale to overturn the results of the election. And my standpoint or my vantage point on this says, It's not about whether or not it's enough to overturn. It's the punishment for cheating that we should be focusing on. Do you understand what I mean? And my analogy is to a test. If you take a test, okay, if you take a test that's 100 questions long and you cheat on five of the questions because you have little cheat sheets that you stuck in your pocket or whatever you did, and you cheated on five of them and you got caught, do you get a 95 out of 100? And an A on your test? No, you fail. You fail the test because you cheated on some of it. If there's any cheating at all on behalf of one particular party, especially if they can prove that it was systemic and planned and premeditated, you automatically lose as far as I'm concerned, and we have to vote all over again. 
Tom Zawistowski on the air yesterday, Lynn Wood, by the way, attorney Lynn Wood representing a lot of Trump's interests, retweeted yesterday the suggestion that Tom Zawistowski made that the president should declare limited martial law and order a revote that is conducted and overseen by the military, in person only, mandatory identification, uh, etc. Uh, and that's, that's a, an extreme idea, but we are in an extreme time right now. I, I totally understand the call for that because quite frankly, I, you know, going back to Bill Barr, I'm frustrated with his, with his statement here, but I don't think we should do anything as extreme as uh, replace him with, uh, you know, roughly 50 days of, uh, left in uh, the president's term. Let's go to Grafton next and Ron on AM 1420, the answer. Hi, Ron, go ahead. Hey, Bob, I'll be as quick as I possibly can. Uh, okay. A couple of quick things. Um, one, I blame John Roberts for all of this. Uh, he disenfranchised 74 million voters in this country. Uh, the other question is, well, I've got questions, actually. What has to happen for the Supreme Court to take up any of this, any of these allegations? Um, right now, I, it's like they're getting into these lower courts and they're all getting thrown out. The other thing is, uh, we as Trump supporters out here, we feel helpless. I know I do. Is there something that we can do? I mean, I heard somebody on, uh, oh, the Newsmax this morning suggested we should call the Supreme Court and ask them to take up one of these cases. I don't know whether that has any merit or not, but it might be a way to go. And uh, quite frankly, Listening to these whistleblowers that have been on TV lately, I'm astounded as to what kind of stuff actually happened. Obviously, the media's gone. Forget them. But it's just unbelievable the kind of things that happen in in these uh, election centers. And pretty much, well, to answer one of your other questions, Fauci's an unelected politician that likes the limelight, so he's worthless. And that's it. I'll let it go. Uh, I, I agree with that last part, too. Thank you, Ron, for the call. Look, as far as what it takes to get something something to the Supreme Court, there has to be a case that is, uh, you know, ruled against the, the Trump uh, legal team. And then, of course, it goes to an appellate court. And if they rule against it, you can appeal it all the way up, as long as there are the merits, as long as they believe that it can, uh, if the Supreme Court, and I don't know how the Supreme Court makes the decision on what cases they'll hear and what they won't, because that, that's beyond my, my pay grade. But I will say that it's what the president said two days ago is important. He said it's very, very hard to get any case before the Supreme Court. I think if there's a case that is the best chance of doing it, it's probably Pennsylvania. Uh, but will that be enough? Even if he wins at the Supreme Court and they say the Pennsylvania um, uh, election was was shady, it was compromised, it was it was uh, you know cheated, it was stolen, et cetera. Whatever they decide, would that be enough to overturn the results of the election? And Based on the fact that Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona, Nevada, the other states that were battleground states all went for Biden, chances are it still wouldn't be enough. And they would say, bad Pennsylvania, bad. Don't do that again. But the results of the overall election stand. And I know that's a negative point of view. And I know that's not what we want to hear or think about. But that's the reality of the situation as far as I can see it. Thanks for the call, Ron. I appreciate it. If you're on hold, stay there. But we are going to talk to Jim Renacy next on 1420 The Answer.
Okay, 1036, as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. If you're on hold to talk about the election or about the governmental tyranny regarding the coronavirus and uh, the ramifications, stay there. We'll come back to you, but I do want to make some time now for a different subject and uh, uh, to welcome our guest. Uh, The state of Ohio has been in trouble. The state of Ohio was not just put in trouble by Governor Mike DeWine's closing of businesses and shuttering of Ohio's economy because of the coronavirus pandemic. The state of Ohio was in some trouble before that as well. Uh, a study has been conducted, and a report is going to release be released next week from the University of Akron and Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. And uh, they're going to talk about exactly what is causing Ohio to stay in uh, the malaise that it is in terms of its economy. And joining us to talk about it now is somebody who's on top of it, Jim Renacci, former Ohio congressman in District 16, now chairman of the Ohio Future Foundation, and the Ohio's Future Foundation, rather. And, uh, Congressman, it's good to have you back on the air here. How are you? Good, Bob. Good morning, and hope you're doing well as uh, as you can be in this snowy uh, uh, morning. But uh, yeah. thanks for having me on. Yeah, I had a, a better workout yesterday in the driveway than I've had in a very, very long time. <laughs> My back and arms are, boy, I'll tell you what, uh, it can really take its toll on you, but uh, hopefully the snow is uh, is done falling for a little while. Congressman, um, you know, you have been highlighting some of the problems Ohio is facing for a while now, especially since you left office, and you've been particularly critical of a lot of the decisions made by Governor DeWine. Can you tell me whether or not those issues that you and I have discussed in the in the past few months are related to this study? Because the one thing that I got in your release was that Ohio's problems can be traced back to a century ago. Uh, at least the seeds of, of Ohio's decline can go back to a century ago. So uh, give us a little bit more information on what these problems are and how they relate to the current leadership of the state of Ohio. Sure, Bob. Well, look, uh, that report is actually going to be issued later this week. I I have said all along that Ohio has been going in the wrong direction for a while. The problem mm-hmm. is we have career politicians who just get reelected, only look out two years or four years, don't, don't really look out to the future in the next generation, and that's the cause. So we've had Democrats and Republicans over the last century uh, that have basically continued to do the same thing. Mike DeWine has continued to do the same thing, the same policy, spend more money not make the changes that are necessary. So what I've said all along is until you put someone in who's going to make those changes, you're going to continue to have these problems. But I wanted to make sure, you know, I came out in 2017 or 2017 and said that Ohio has problems, pay for play, all of these issues. And I said, but, you know, then we got to the coronavirus and people think, well, the problems are all the coronavirus. As you have said already on your show, that's not the case. We lost... 6,200 jobs in the state of Ohio in totality in 2019. That was before coronavirus. I mean, these are some of the things we have to start looking at. And this report starts to talk about some of the things I've been saying. I noticed they're in this report, but there are a lot of other things in the report that will be released. I mean, we have been using 20th century economic policies in the 21st century. We've been going after Big manufacturing plants. And guess what happens when you go after a big manufacturing plant? Well, they come in, even if you get them, then they figure out ways to become, you know, better at what they're doing. Usually it's by, you know, uh, whether it's computers or machinery, and they end up eliminating businesses or, or people in the business and employees. So we've been doing this, and everybody thinks the answer is let's get a big manufacturer. 
Well, what this report says is, no, we got to have economic diversity. Economic diversity means, let's look at, and I'll tell you the best example. We have Cleveland, one of the 10 worst states in the country. We have Pittsburgh, 110 miles away, one of the 10 best cities in the country. Why is there such a difference between 110 miles away? Because Cle- uh, Cleveland didn't diversify its business. Pittsburgh did. Pittsburgh has tech. Pittsburgh has healthcare. Pittsburgh has entrepreneurship. All those things that we have lost because we have career politicians who just keep coming in and saying, you know what, I'm going to get you jobs. I'm going to do Jobs Ohio. By the way, think about Jobs Ohio, something started by Governor Kasich, which is now highly supported by Governor DeWine. If, Gov- if Jobs Ohio was doing such a great job, why did we lose 6,200 jobs in, in 2019 before coronavirus? Because they're not doing the job that's necessary. They're still looking for those bid manufacturers. The other thing that the report talks about, which is really interesting, is businesses don't move to, a, to climate. They move to where uh, people will go and where people will have the, you know, the, the comfort level of living and, and growing and being a part of you know, a long-term situation. And I think that's the one thing we never talk about is that you know we need to make sure that Ohio look we have a we have a beautiful lake to the north a river to the south we've got a great national park we don't we don't highlight any of that stuff and that's where people are moving to the last thing i would tell you i mean think about manufacturing lordstown we lose lordstown people think well that's because they went to mexico it's not true the lordstown most of those jobs went to indiana that's only one state over well why because of the climate, the economic climate, the tax climate. Um, and last but not least, we're the seventh most corrupt state in the country. This report talks about that. I've been talking about that pay-for-play. The seventh most corrupt, and that was before the debacle in July with the Speaker, and that was also mm-hmm. before the, the debacle in Cincinnati with some Democratic um, you know, members of city council. We are a corrupt state that moves forward because of pay-for-play and I can list more and more that's in this report. But I think what we need to do is we need to start looking and focusing on how we change Ohio because we can't compete. And that's actually what this report basically says. We are losing ground. We are losing our place in the U.S. economy. Congressman, we're talking to, to uh, former Congressman Jim Renacci about the state of Ohio right now, literally the state of the state of Ohio. Um, and of all the things you just highlighted, I, I want to focus on that 6,200 job loss and put it in some context. This, as you pointed out, was in 2019, prior to the coronavirus and all of the economic calamity that has followed the, you know, the decisions that have been made because of the coronavirus here in 2020. In 2019, we should remind people, Congressman, that we had record low unemployment, that we had literally, you know, record low in the last 50, 60 years. Unemployment was hovering around three and a half percent. It was record low nationwide for, for African Americans, record low for Hispanic Americans, all the different demographics that we have all focused on, particularly as we talked about the uh, uh, case for the re-election of Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, the country's economy and the country's employment numbers were spectacular. How could Ohio be so removed from that? Here, here in Ohio, we're losing 6,200 jobs, while everywhere else in the country, and especially in the surrounding states in the same region, as you just pointed out, they're gaining them at record numbers. I mean, that's almost impossible to comprehend. Well, exactly. And it's one of the things when I was traveling the state in 2019, I would bring that up and, and I would say, what do you think? And people would say, oh, it's 
state's doing great. They didn't realize we weren't doing great. We were losing jobs. We were ranked probably 48th, 49th, or 50th, depending on how you ranked it, in new jobs, new employment, yet the rest of the country was booming. And that's because we have these economic policies that just, we spend too much money. Here's another thing that's uh, actually spelled out in the report. We spend twice as much as similar-sized states in our, in our state government. And then the report also talks about what I've been talking about years. We have Medicaid expansion. We spend too much in social service programs, and we need to redirect those back into early childhood, uh, you know, education. Because what's happening is, you know, we're losing, we're losing our children as they grow up in a state and they see more and more Medicaid, more and more of their moms and dads, whether they're on the Medicaid system or whatever, and they just continue down that path. We have to change this. And you don't change it by spending more money in those areas. You change it by redirecting the dollars that you are spending. The other thing, again, is, you know, we're just, what people don't realize is we, we had a budget, we started to have a budget issue last year. This coronavirus has just accelerated it. It's accelerated it because we have a governor who's shutting down businesses, which is the lifeblood of the tax that goes to the mm-hmm. state, that pays for the employees that are at the state. Yet he's not doing anything about that. He's not cutting and freezing spending. He talks about it, but if you look at the numbers, our spending is going up, our Medicaid spending is going up. These are all recipes for a disaster because in business you would start to cut back and prepare for the loss of revenue. I also say the biggest problem we're going to have in this state is how do we balance a budget in 2021, and that's coming very soon uh, under the conditions that we have today, especially starting in the conditions we had in 2019 going forward. Congressman, um, I have to ask you about the politics of all of this. Um, you know, you're a Republican. Mike DeWine is a Republican. John Kasich was a Republican. The governor of this state has been a Republican for the last 10 years. If we indict them for the, you know, e- economic collapse of the state, the poor job growth of the state, and technically, as you say, the job losses even prior to the pandemic, if we indict them for their handling of it, are we not also indicting your party? And what does that say to all Ohioans when it comes time in 2022 to choose a new governor. And, of course, they just continue to solidify the uh, hold that we have, the Republican Party has on the General Assembly. But uh, are we not kind of saying that the Republicans who are in charge of the state are, are responsible for screwing it up? Well, here's what we are saying. We're indicting the policies that were in place, even under Strickland, that continue to be the policies of the current governor and the previous governor. Because all they do is look out two years and four years and re-elections. They're not looking out 10 and 20 years. If we don't change the policies, it's not about the people anymore, and I say that. I mean, uh, it's the policies, and the policies need to be changed. And one of the things I'm going to continue to talk about, it's why Ohio's Future Foundation was formed. I'm, I'm talking about policies. And, yes, I've had Republicans say to me, Jim, you're a Republican. You're talking about Republican policies that Governor DeWine supports. I go, well, I'm not talking about Governor DeWine. I'm talking about the policies. And if he supports them, then we have a serious problem. And, you know, I I posted this on social media the other day. Somebody asked me that exact question. How can you, you know, how, how can you be saying these things as a Republican about some of the policies of Governor DeWine? And my response was, how can you not be saying these things as a Republican about some of the policies of Governor DeWine, if you are a Republican. And I think we have to quit worrying about the party. 
we got to start talking about the policies. That's the important thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree it is, but uh, obviously, as you point out, people have been asking you, and that's why I had to ask you as well, you know, what does this say about the uh, the Republican Party since we are essentially in charge of the entire state from the General Assembly through the governor's office and have been for the last 10 years? So moving forward, the policies do have to change. There's no question about it. Uh, I love the fact that this study, by the way, personal note here, was done by the University of Akron in conjunction with Ball State University. My son is a Ball State University commit. He'll be on their football team this coming fall. So I love the fact that you're partnering with our friends out there in Muncie. Well, you know what? I wanted to make sure that when I partnered with somebody, I took a Ohio university and we were able to get also an outside of the state university that has a strong economics department. Because these, we're talking about economics. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're not talking about technical issues. We're talking about economic issues. And so we've got the, the School of Business uh, Department of Economics in both of these colleges and universities that uh, have stepped up to do this, propo- this, this summary. And uh, I'm glad to be able to see it. I've learned from it. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that I've been talking about, but there are a lot of new things that are in here. I was happy to see they've highlighted some of the things I've said. We have such great assets. They've talked about those. But in the end, I will tell you, we have to make sure that we're looking 10 years out and 20 years out. And whoever gets um, elected in the next, you know, two, four, six, eight, ten 10 years has to stay on course. Otherwise, Ohio will continue to fall, fall behind and and we're talking about some of this, and Bob, if, if any of your listeners are willing to go to JimRenAC.com, we've got a lot of issues we're talking about. We're looking at Ohio first, how we change Ohio and move it forward. And uh, a website, JimRenAC.com, will give you some of that information and also have you sign up and get some of this information, like this report, when it's finally issued. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you, the last part there. This Akron and Ball State uh, uh, combined report, uh, I think I mistakenly said it's going to be next week. It's going to be before this week, tomorrow or Friday? Yep. It's, uh, well, it's already been released to the media. Um, I did get a, a, a note that they've released it out to the media, so the media has it. Um, but I'm not sure what media has it. I, I know they've talked about some of the newspapers, uh, and then I think the rest of this week they're going to be releasing it out to the public. Okay, I haven't seen it yet myself, so I'll have to dig that up then if it's available to the media because uh, we can speak to it. Uh, speak to it more specifically. Last thing before you go, Congressman, uh, you know everybody's asking. Uh, so many Republicans, myself included, are very disappointed in the way Mike DeWine has handled this state, and in particular this year and the decisions he's made with the coronavirus, and people are screaming for some solid, conservative-minded Republican to primary Mike DeWine for uh, in 2022. Have you considered that yet? Well, Bob, it's not out of the question. Uh, I'm going to continue to... Uh, this study was part of it. I wanted to commission a study and make sure that what I've been saying is accurate. I'm going to start to put out a 10-point plan. I've been meeting with legislators. By the way, one of the biggest failures of Governor DeWine is when I call the legislators, the House and Senate members, you know what they say? You know the biggest problem they tell me is that the governor's not even talking to them. He just goes forward and does what he wants to do. So um, I'm reaching out. I'm I'm going to take my 10-point plan out to the public over the next, you know, 30 to 45 days now that I have this study. I'm going to be talking to people like my good friend Jim Jordan and, and seeing where he stands on all of this. I, I think I know where he does. He, he loves Ohio, but he also is a fighter in, in Congress. And, and in the end, we'll make that decision to make sure that uh, we can move forward and move Ohio forward in the best interest of the state. So nothing's off the table. I'm going to continue to move forward and, and make a decision to help 
make Ohio first, which is important. Great stuff, uh, Congressman. I'm looking forward to reading that report from Akron and Ball State as well, and I really appreciate you sharing the information with us. We'll remind people to go to JimRenacy.com as well as to research Ohio's uh, Future Foundation. Congressman, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bobby. Have a great day. Can you believe we just did an interview with Jim Renacci about the state of politics in Ohio and the problems in the Republican Party, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that four Ohio legislators have filed articles of impeachment against Mike DeWine. Can you believe that? We're going to talk to some of them, uh, hopefully before the week is out. But, uh, yeah, Mike DeWine is facing articles of impeachment from not these Ohio Democrats, but from his fellow Ohio Republicans. That lets you know exactly what people think of the job he's doing. 10.53, last segment coming up. Yeah, we are going to endeavor to uh, talk to some of these representatives. Uh, State Rep. John Becker, Republican from Claremont County, announced it that he has officially filed 12 articles of impeachment against Mike DeWine. He's joined by Republican Candace Keller, Republican Nino Vitale, and Republican Paul Zeltwanger in an effort that they say is to restore the rule of law. Um, I don't know if this is going anywhere, but I understand. I understand. It's just so bizarre, though, to see Republicans actually trying to impeach a Republican governor. That lets you know how far out of perhaps uh, the mainstream that uh, Mike DeWine has really fallen with his uh, tyrannical, uh, unconstitutional rules that he refuses to uh, uh, to go back on. Fred is in Hudson. Let's take a final call here before we're done. Fred, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead, sir. Oh, good morning, Bob. Um, uh, great show. I, I, just as an aside, um, it was so nice to spend the last 20 minutes talking about something other than the election and coronavirus. Um, I love Jim Renacci, and uh, that was all very interesting. Um, the reason that I called it goes back to the conversations we were having about uh, the, these Republicans that aren't supporting uh, Trump. And it ties mm-hmm. in even to our governor. Um, and, and, you know, he's never been, uh, he's never been a true conservative Republican. Uh, he's, he's been a rhino from the get go. You know, if you remember, he's the reason that, uh, we have that, uh, jerk, um, uh, Senator, uh, uh, uh what's his name? Sherrod Brown. You know, he, he, he couldn't hold his Tennessee, um, against him. And, and that's why we've got, uh, we're suffering with him now. Uh, but my main call, the main reason that I called, I, I, my stomach uh, answers the, the question of, uh, you know, are we going to lose this thing? Is Trump is Trump gone? I agree with both of those, uh, uh, both those guys that uh, on your radio station uh, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the morning, I, I, I agree that uh, reality sets in. That's why my stomach is uh, constantly in a turmoil. And at night, I'm excited about the fact that, well, you never know. There could be. You know, my heart uh, wants to believe (laughs) it. Hope springs eternal. I've got to jump in here, my friend, because I'm out of time. Uh, But but I I appreciate and and feel the same way. I'm very skeptical and I'm very disappointed by the reality of the situation, but I remain hopeful. So I'm the same way you are. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Everyone have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.